Open up your Bibles, if you would, to Genesis 31. If you're still learning your way around the Bible, there's an Old Testament and a New Testament. Genesis is in the Old Testament. It's really the first book of the Bible. Genesis 31. Now, there was a guy that's mentioned in the Old Testament by the name of Jacob. His dad's name was Isaac, and his grandfather's name was Abraham. And so, if, if uh, this may be familiar to you, for some of you, this is a well-known person. For others of you, may not be aware of who he is. But Jacob was actually the one, through him, 12 sons were born that became the tribes for the nation of Israel. So he plays a significant part. But Jacob kind of had kind of a suspicious beginning. When I say suspicious, I mean, he was really deceptive in his early years. He, uh, he, he tricked his brother out of his birthright. He deceived his father. I mean, he's had all of these things. He was, you know, his name meant supplanter, you know, or deceiver. And so uh, was one of the meanings of his name. There are two or three meanings of that. But, uh, but he started out that way, so much so that he ended up having to run from his, for his life from his, from his brother and leave his home. And he went to a land where a guy named Laban was. And it was actually, he was related to his mother. And so when he saw Laban, Laban took him in. And, uh, and Laban said, you know, why don't you just work for me? What can I do for you? Well, he had a daughter named Rachel. And Jacob was like, dude, your daughter, she's fine. I'd really like to marry her. And he said, well, he said, that's, that's the New Living Translation. So anyway, um, <laughs> the New Rick Translation. So anyway, um, you know, Laban said, sure, man, she's yours. You work here for seven years. And he said that he loved her so much, the seven years, just, it just flew by. And so... Um, <laughs> Don't say that. So anyway, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go on. And so, um, so they had, he said, here's my daughter. Let's have, you know, let's have a wedding feast. And I don't know what happened. I, I don't know. I mean, my thoughts are maybe they, you know, they, they drank too much or whatever. But, but he sent in his, other, his oldest daughter, Leah. And so uh, that night after the honeymoon, the next day he got up, he goes, hey, man, you tricked me. That, that was Leah. That wasn't Rachel. And he said, oh, I forgot to tell you that our custom here is that you can't marry the youngest first. You've got to marry the oldest first. He goes, that would have been good to know seven years ago. And so, so he said, but here, he said, if you'll work another seven years, I'll give you my daughter, Rachel. And he said, yeah, I'll do that. So he gave her Rachel. He worked another seven years. And then at the end of the 14 years, you know, he's starting to have kids. And he's like, look, I, I want to go back to my father's place. And he goes, and so Laban said, why, why should you leave here? You know, empty-handed, why don't, why don't you let me just begin to pay you, and then when you do go, you'll have stuff to go with you. And he said, okay, that's great. So Jacob said, well, I'll tell you what, I, I, just give me the sheep that are this color and look like this. And I would imagine that it was the lesser sheep or whatever, and the father-in-law said, yeah, that's great, you can have them. But bef- the day before the deal started, his father-in-law went and took all of the sheep that looked like that out of the herd and gave them to his sons. So... This guy continued to change the terms of the agreement with Jacob. Jacob, who had been a deceiver himself, was getting outmaneuvered and outdeceived by another individual. And he was with him for a long period of time. He was with him for 20 years. 20 years. And, and then, you know, each time Laban would change the terms of their agreement. Well, we're coming to the end of this season in Jacob's life of 20 years that he'd been mistreated all the time. So look at Genesis 31, verse 1. It says this, but Jacob soon learned that Laban's sons were grumbling about him. They said this, Jacob has robbed our father of everything, they said. Isn't it interesting when people take advantage of you and it doesn't work out for them, that somehow they feel like you cheated them? You ran into that? That wasn't even my fault, that was yours. Well, this is what he's experiencing. And it goes, and it says this, it said, he's gained all his wealth at our father's expense. 
And the truth about it is their father was more, was more blessed as a result of Jacob being there. He said he gained all of, our, all of his wealth at our father's expense. And Jacob began to notice a change in Laban's attitude toward him. Then the Lord said, everybody say the Lord said. Say it again, say the Lord said. Then the Lord said to Jacob, return to the land of your father and grandfather and to your relatives there and I will be with you. So it's interesting, for 20 years Jacob had put up with this, with this deception, with this mistreatment, with all of these things going on. But it wasn't until 20 years after experiencing that, that then the Lord said to him. You know, one of the challenges whenever we're in a situation or season where we feel like we're not being treated fairly or mistreated is a lot of times it becomes incredibly uncomfortable, becomes incredibly painful. And I don't know about you, but so many times in that situation, my first thought is leave. That I'm just going to go. And I think we miss it sometimes because, you know, really discomfort is not a good compass. I've discovered in my own life that sometimes the Lord keeps us in a place of discomfort because it's the only place that he can grow us in certain areas. But there's some things he just can't do in us when everything is good. That sometimes it's through struggle, through challenge, through pain, even through suffering, that there's a transformation that takes place in our life. I've shared with you before that in my 20s that I went through a five-year season of clinical depression. And that before that, I had, no, I had really no compassion for anybody that was depressed. I thought they were just feeling sorry for themselves or having a bad day and like, hey, why don't you snap out of it? Until I went through it myself and I'm like, it's none of those things. And do I want to go through that again? Absolutely not. But could I have learned what I learned without going through it? I'm not saying the Lord made me that or whatever, but I, he still used it. Well, sometimes in a job setting, in a job situation, that in those type of things, that he keeps us in that place because there's a thing that he wants to do in us. And, and, and the reason why we have to understand this, that when we're being mistreated, that in that moment we have to wait on God's timing. Jacob didn't leave the first time that it was uncomfortable. He didn't leave the first time that he was done wrong. He waited until God said. You know, th this is just such an important lesson for all of us. You know, I, I remember that I was, I was working at a job one time, and I really, really liked the place that I was working for. They were good to me. They were good people. But there was one job, particularly in the organization, that I really wanted, and I thought, this fits me. And I love that place so much that there were times where they were going through a financial hardship and they couldn't pay overtime. But the, but the job that I was doing, there was an hour in there that was beyond my 40 hours a week, an hour a day in there that they had stuff that needed to be done. That if I didn't, if I didn't volunteer my time, and it was, an, it was a ministry organization, it was a large organization, I love, still love to this day. But if I didn't volunteer my time, then, then the, you know, it was going to put him in a hard place. And I'm like, I love this place so much. I'm grateful I have a job. So I'm going to get up an hour earlier, and I'm going to volunteer my time and still do that so I can help him out. Now, I would have done it anyway and proved that later on. But one day, this job that I wanted opened up, and I thought, man, I've been given an hour of my time every day. And if they need me to stay later and they can't afford overtime, I'll stay later. They didn't make us, but I'm like, I, I love this place so much, I'm going to do that. And so I thought I would do it. And then there was a guy that was working with me, and he was a good guy. But he showed up, like, I got there an hour early, and he showed up a minute before he was supposed to be there. And when it was time to clock out, he clocked out and went home. And I stayed. 
And I'll never forget when that position came open, they didn't even interview me. They didn't even talk to me about it. They gave him the job, and I, I got to tell you, man, I was so irritated. I felt so taken advantage of. I was mad. I was like, you know, the temptation came, the thought came, I'll just show up a minute beforehand. I'll go home whenever everybody else goes home. I'm done giving my time. But it's amazing how the Lord, he causes us to anchor ourselves in there. He causes us to stay as, as long as we're supposed to. I, I've seen this happen with people that when God moves them to a church, and this is one reason why whenever God plants you in a church, whether it's here or somebody else or someplace else, that you have to know that the Lord is the one that's planted you there. Because anytime that you show up to a place for the first time, if you like it, you really like it. But here's what I know about every church, and this place is no exception. And this is what I know about every pastor, and this pastor is no exception. I know the guy. I know what a mess he is. That there'll be a time when you run into the brokenness of that place and the brokenness of those individuals. The closer you get, every church, everything looks better from a distance. And the closer you get, the warts of that place become very visible. And when you run into that, the first thought can be, let's leave. And that's why you want to wait on God's timing. You want to wait on God's voice to do what he wants you to do when he wants you to do it. Because there's just things that he wants to do in us. That he's preparing us for. There's a transformation that's taking place in us. And so it wasn't like Jacob never left. But he didn't leave until the Lord said. That verse again says this, then the Lord said. Not the first time it happened, not the second time it happened, not the first year, not the second year, not the fifth year, not the tenth year. After 20 years, then the Lord said. And it wasn't because the Lord said, well, okay, that's it, I've had it. That there was a work that had to be done in Jacob. There was something that he wanted to do in him clearly. Then the Lord said to Jacob, so number one, if you're taking notes, is this, is that when you're being mistreated, whatever decision you make, wait on God's timing. Wait on God's timing. Jacob was with Laban for 20 years, was cheated by him many times over that 20 years, yet he waited until then the Lord said. Number one is this, wait on God's timing. Let's keep reading there. The end of verse three says this, return to, your, return to the land of your father and grandfather and your relatives there and I'll be with you. Look at verse four. So Jacob called Rachel and Leah out to the field where he was watching his flock. He said to them, I have noticed that your father's attitude toward me has changed. But listen, but the God of my father has been with me. Listen to what he says to his wives. You know, everybody say you know. You know how hard I have worked for your father. You know how hard I have worked for your father, but he has cheated me, changing my wages 10 times, but God has not allowed him to do me any harm. You know how hard I've worked for your father. In other words, he's like, that you've seen it in me. You've seen how hard I work. You've seen what I've done. You've seen the decisions I've made. And I think the interesting thing about it is, is whenever things weren't going his way, he didn't stop that. There's obviously something in him that he understood that no matter what Laban did to him, that Laban was not in charge of his future. That the outcome of what was going to take place in his life was not dependent upon Laban. 
And the truth of the matter is, I think we lose sight of this as believers sometimes, is that, you know, there's so many things we want to do, but here's one of the things we can understand we're being mistreated. Number two is this, let your work be your witness. Let your work say to those around you who you are and who your confidence is in and who you trust to care for you. I remember in Bible school that they, one of the things they would say to us, they would say, God doesn't always pay up on Friday night. He doesn't always pay up on Saturday. But he can be trusted to do what's right, that he's faithful to care for you. And maybe not as soon as you think it will, but if we continue to be faithful and continue to let our work be our witness, that it's amazing what God does in us and through us and for us as a result of that. I remember I went to Bible school, and I liked the Bible school that I went to, but basically whenever students were there, you had two types of students. You had those that were going to Bible school, and when they got a job, they thought it was their responsibility and, you know, and their obligation to preach to everybody they worked for. And worked with. And so they would show up to work. And they may not get any work done. But they'd spend all day just preaching. Somebody says, well, that's good. Well, is it? Because if you're an unbelieving boss and you've hired this person, what speaks to you is not how many messages they can preach, but what speaks to you is they come in and they're faithful with what they do. And they work and they work as unto the Lord and not unto another human being. That's the kind of thing that gets an unbelieving boss's attention. To be the person that sets the tone in the place. That even when things are difficult, especially when things are difficult. To be the voice. To be the word of encouragement. To be the presence that sets the tone in what God wants to take place there and what he wants to do. And let you be the one that he does. And let you be the one that he, that he does that through. And so, so many times, you know, whenever things aren't going right, I know in my own life, if things hadn't been going right, if I'm not careful, the first thought comes, well, quit, or well, they don't deserve better than this, or well, I'm going to be like everybody else, or well, I'm going to do this. And the truth of the matter is, we miss this opportunity to do what God wants to do through, in, through us. And this work is an opportunity to be faithful, not just when things are good, not just when I'm appreciated, but when I'm taken advantage of. Jacob didn't say, I started out good, man, I was working hard. I did all these things. You saw how your dad treated me, and so I thought, I'm not helping this guy out. No. He, at the end of the 20 years, he could look at his wives and still say, you know how hard I've worked. Even when he was unfair. Even when he mistreated me, you know. He knew that his work was a witness. You know how hard I have worked for your father. In other words, you've seen it. It's obvious. It's evident. Our disappointment is never a good compass for our response. Our feeling taken advantage of should never be the thing that leads us. It should be our commitment and our consecration to the one that's died for us that knows what it's like to be taken advantage of, that knows what it's like to not be appreciated or valued. Jesus didn't just die for those that appreciate, that he died for the world. Now, those that get to experience that or those that receive that. But it says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And so if anybody gets it, he does. 
In the Bible, it says work is, is unto him. And so many times at our job, we can feel mistreated, unappreciated, misvalued. Jacob here, that the, the, 10 times he had his wages changed. 10 times in 20 years. And it wasn't for the better. But he didn't leave until the Lord said, now, the Lord said, now, now I want you to go. And even as he finished up there, he said to his wives who knew him better than anybody, you know, you've seen, it's been obvious to you how hard I've worked for your father. Not just in the good times, not just when I started out, not just when things were going well, but on the day that he took advantage of me, I worked hard. On the day that he didn't appreciate me, I worked hard. The day that his son took advantage of me, I worked hard. I worked hard for your father. So sometimes, man, in our world, I mean, none of us like to be taken advantage of. None of us like, myself included, like being mistreated. None of us like going through those hard things, those hard seasons. And yet there's something about those moments and those seasons that we have opportunity to be a witness. That same Bible school, I would see people that they would go to that place of business and they would just be steady. They would just work hard. They would, they would just, you know, just go there. And, and they weren't trying to preach or whatever. They let their work, the, the job that they did for the people that they worked with and the people that they worked for, say something about their life and whose they were. That was even a declaration that I'm not even my own. That I'm his. And I'll do this for him. And so Jacob, who in his early life was the king of the deceivers, the king of the take, of, take advantagers of, he met some guy that was even more developed in this than he was. And instead of trying to up his game, he continued to operate in integrity and trusted God for the outcome of what was going to take place. His work was his way of declaring, my life is not his, and it's not even mine, it's yours. And I trust you with it. So number two is this, is that let your work be your witness. Let's look at number three and we'll close with this. Go with me, if you would, to verse 38. You're in chapter 31 still, verse 38. So Jacob is leaving now. The Lord's released him and said, it's okay if you go back. And so, so he leaves. His father-in-law comes and tracks him down. And, uh, and so, uh, and the night before his father-in-law had a dream and in the dream, God said to him, don't you hurt Jacob, but he catches up with him and he has this conversation with Jacob. And so in verse 38, it says this, Jacob says, for 20 years, I've been with you caring for your flocks in all that time, your sheep and goats never miscarried in all those years. I never used a single ram of yours for food. If any were attacked and killed by wild animals, I never showed you the carcass and asked you to reduce the count of your flock. No, I took the loss myself. You made me pay for every stolen animal, whether it was taken in broad daylight or in the dark of night. I worked for you through the scorching heat of the day and through cold and sleepless nights. Yes, for 20 years, I slaved in your house. I worked for 14 years earning your two daughters and then six more years for your flock. And you changed my wages 10 times. In fact, if the God of my father had not been on my side, the God of Abraham and the fearsome God of Isaac, you would have sent me away empty-handed. But God has seen your abuse and my hard work. That is why he appeared to you last night and rebuked you. Look at the two things he says here. God has seen your abuse. 
You know, one of the things we're going through a hard place is sometimes we wonder, does anybody notice? Does anybody see this? We can feel so alone and, and we're hesitant to say anything because we don't want to sound like we're complaining. And, and yet, you know, it's just we go through this thing. And, and, and you know, and the challenge of it is, again, is that sometimes when we're going through it, you know, at, at times, you know, we wonder, Lord, do you even see this? Do you even care? And we can, ask, we can say that it feels like he's indifferent to us. And, and I really don't know, you know, if Jacob, if this was a moment that God revealed that I've seen this. If maybe he knew it all along, but if he's like me, probably didn't. I mean, there were still good things happening to him. He, he, you know, he had a family and then God began to bless him with, you know, sheep and things like that and began to care for him. And sometimes you can just see those moments and think, well, you know, the truth of the matter is, is that, you know, you know I'm, just, I'm just fortunate. I just had some good luck. Maybe he didn't realize that that was God's good hand noticing what he's going through and not being indifferent to the hard place that he's in. But maybe he didn't know that. And years later, here he stands in front of Laban, the guy that had created this grief. And God said to Laban, you don't hurt him. As Jacob was going on his way. But I think it's interesting, the second thing he noticed, he says this right here. He said, God has seen your abuse. In other words, if you're in a hard place, I want you to know God sees it. He sees it. And he's not just a distant, it's not a distant love. He's not loving you from a distance. It may feel that way now because things are so hard now. Things are so tough now. You, you, know, you feel appreciated, not appreciated, mistreated, taken advantage of. But even though you may not feel like you see or feel his presence there, they just know he's there. He's there. But not only does he see that, it says that he saw that, but he also said this, he saw that and my hard work. In other words, Jacob was saying, he's seen what you did to me, and he's seen how I responded. He's seen how you've treated me, and he's seen what I've done. You know, there have been seasons in my life where I would be okay with that? Where he saw what somebody was doing to me, and he saw how I responded? But can I be real transparent with you? There's other seasons I wish he'd have just stopped with, he saw how you treated me. Because sometimes how I responded was not anything to be proud of either. Amen. Can I be just real honest? I know none of y'all are that way. Y'all pray for me. I want to be as spiritual as y'all, but you just pray for me. <laughs> but Jacob had learned, he had grown where he could say with confidence and conviction, he saw what you did and he saw my response. And he's not indifferent to either. He saw it. He saw it. If the God of my father had not been on my side, the God of Abraham and the fearsome God of Isaac, you would have sent me away empty-handed, but God has seen your abuse and my hard work. That is why he appeared to you last night and rebuked you. You need to know that God, has, he sees what's going on. He's not indifferent to it. When we're going through a hard place, man, our tendency could be to fall back in our old ways. The ways that we knew before Christ. The things that we did before Jesus. And I said it's that time where we lean in and we trust God's timing. We trust his timing and, and we let what we do be a witness. Not just what we say, we're not just declarers, we're doers. 
We trust his presence, trust the life of God working on the inside of us, growing and bearing fruit under pressure. Some of the sweetest fruit comes when pressure takes place in our life. Because we have confidence in this, number three is this, is that God, God will intervene for you. When? I don't know. That's the challenge. That's why James said, count it all joy. When you fall into diverse trials and temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith, your faith is tried, works patience. Hebrews 10 says this, don't cast away your confidence. It has great compensation of reward. That after you've done the will of God, you may receive the promise. And so in our lives, man, as we trust God, and as we go through that hard place, and we continue to trust him, and we don't leave because of pressure, and we don't go because it's not comfortable, and we don't go because it doesn't feel like it's fair or right, and we don't go because we don't feel like we, you know, we're valued the way that we should, we stay until the voice of God says, now. And in that time, we realize who we work for. Not, not unto humanity, but as unto the Lord. Let me tell you something. It's a lot easier to talk about it up here on the platform than it is to do it. You know how I know? Because I've been in both positions. Talking about it's way more fun. Doing it, I have to... I have to, it takes everything in me to shut my flesh down and go, you're doing this for Jesus. Just stay at it. Don't pull back from what you know is right. And to continue to persevere and be consistent with what God has called us to do. Number three, knows this, that God will intervene for you. And if you're in a hard place right now, God sees you. He sees what you're dealing with. He knows what's unjust. And he's, he's not indifferent to that. And, and just because you haven't, maybe, maybe you don't recognize his hand is there, it's still there. There's still things he's doing for you in the midst of that. It may not be what you want to see yet, but there are things that are taking place that he's doing on your behalf and for you. And there'll be some point that he reveals himself, that he shows you that that was me and, and I have more to do for you. And so here's what's next But there's a confidence that comes by learning to trust him and working through that. Now, I know that some of you today, that I'm speaking right into your world right now. Right into your life, that this is you, this is what you're feeling, what you're experiencing, what you're dealing with. And discouragement may be weighing heavy upon you, but I want to encourage you, not because I'm not promising you that tomorrow you'll go and things will change. Matter of fact, it could get worse. But what I am promising you is that whoever's making your life harder doesn't determine the outcome of it. Your hope's not in them. And I'll tell you from personal experience, having lived here on the earth for a while, that every time I put my hope in a human being, at some point I get to be disappointed in them. Can I tell you this? Anytime anybody's put their hope in me, at some point they get to be disappointed in me. It's not until our hope is in Jesus that we can have confidence about what, what he's going to do today and what tomorrow holds. I, I want you to do this right now. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes for just a minute. And I just, I just want to pray over your life.
as you pray about your situation right now, the circumstances you're in, God, do a work in each person that's here. Do a work, Lord, in, in each, each one of us. And Father, for anybody that's in a place where they feel mistreated, taken advantage of, hopeless, disappointed, let them sense your presence encouraging them today. Let them refocus on whose they are, on where their hope lies. Jesus, let this be a moment of consecration, of commitment, of perseverance. I'm going to be quiet for just a minute and just let you just spend just a moment with God. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus, Lord. And again, I just pray for each person that's here. Lord, thank you that you are our hope. You are our promoter, our provider, our door opener. Jesus, you are. Man, I've just seen it in my own life where I just, it just didn't seem to be a way and you'd make a way. I'm a testimony to the faithfulness of God. Not to my faithfulness, but to your faithfulness. Lord, you're always faithful. Always faithful. Jesus, you're always faithful. With heads bowed and eyes closed, man, before we leave, if, if you've never received Jesus, as your Savior, you never made Him Lord of your life, and you want to do that today. I want to pray for you. You know, being a Christian is more than just believing in God, but it's this awareness that Jesus died for us on the cross, that He took our sins, mine and yours, upon Him, and that He was raised from the dead so we could be forgiven. And that when we make Jesus Lord of our life, we surrender our will to His. We, we receive that forgiveness, receive Him as our Savior, that we become His. 2 Corinthians says this, that we're in Christ, that we, we become a new creature and old things are passed away and all things become new. And if you've never received Jesus as your Savior, never made him Lord of your life, if you want to do that today, I want to pray for you. Second of all, if you're here and you say, Rick, I've done that, but, but honestly, man, I've, I've gotten off track a little bit. I'm not where I need to be or where I want to be. Can I get back to that place? Absolutely, you can. You say, well, how do you know? Because, man, I've been you. I've been where you are. I've gotten off track before too. I know what that's like. But I can tell you from experience and with confidence that he will restore you. So if you want to recommit your life, rededicate it to the Lord, if that's you, this is a great day. I want to pray for you. And then lastly, if you're here and you say, you know, sometimes I think I'm saved. But other times I struggle with, what if I'm not? And I just want to be certain. I just want to leave this place knowing. I get that. And I believe you can. 
And so I want to pray for you that you'll leave here knowing that you're his, assured, confident. So for any one of those three things, whether to give your life to Jesus for the very first time or to recommit your life to him or just to leave here assured that you're his, if that's you on any one of those three things, I want to pray for you today with with heads bowed and eyes closed just so I know who I'm praying for. Just so I know I'm praying for. If that's you, would you raise your hand and hold it up there real high? Just let me know that you thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you several. Yeah, thank you. Anybody else want to join these? Thank you, yeah. Thank you, thank you. Anybody else? Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? One more time around the room. Anybody else? Thank you. Yeah, thank you. I want to pray for you. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. And I pray for each person that's raised their hand. Lord, they're not here by accident but you had a divine appointment with them today. You wanted them to have an encounter with you and your goodness and your love for them. And Father, if this is their first time, I pray that in this moment they would become a Christian. They'd become a child of God, that they would receive the forgiveness of God and let you transform them and Jesus come live on the inside of them and make them a new creature as they give you their life, as they surrender their will for yours and make Jesus Lord of their life. And Father, for any of those that are rededicating or recommitting their lives, I pray that you would uh, restore uh, the joy of their salvation, that it would be renewed and they would leave this place forgiven. Just like the first group, forgiven, no shame, no condemnation, no guilt, forgiven. I pray that you would do that work in them, Father. And lastly, Lord, for any of those that just want to leave here knowing that they're yours. I pray that when they leave here, they would know they're yours, not because they feel like it, because some days I don't feel like it. And they would know they're yours, not because they always act like it, because you know I don't always act like it. But they would leave here knowing they're yours because you said whoever calls on Jesus will be saved. So our confidence is not in how good we feel, and it's certainly not in how good we are. Our confidence is in what Jesus has done for us and what you've promised that's enough and so we thank you for that in Jesus name now look man I prayed for you and that's good but as we say around here all the time that Jesus didn't come because humanity needed a religion he came so we could have a relationship with him and the father and in a relationship you talk so if you raise your hand I want to lead you in a prayer and you're not praying it to me you're praying it to God you're praying it to him and so I want you to be able to be bold and confident and passionate about it. I'm going to ask you to repeat after me, praying this to God, not intimidated or hindered. But because we're for you and you're not in this alone, I'm going to ask everybody in here, everybody in here to repeat after me to encourage you. So let's all say this, but again, you're praying this to the Lord. Let's all say this, say, Dear God, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, be Lord of my life. I surrender my will to your will. I receive you as my Savior now. Thank you for dying on the cross for all my sins. And I believe with all my heart that you were raised from the dead so I could be forgiven. I call upon you now and ask you to forgive me and to live in me. And I thank you 
for forgiving me and saving me and loving me. I'm yours. In Jesus' name, amen.